been thinking a lot about what comes after populism. It's a revolution. When people resort to populism, there's going to be a revolution. Now, it could be a peaceful revolution. It could be a violent revolution. It could be a revolution where the people are crushed. It could be a revolution where the people regain control. But there's going to be a revolution. How do you put populism back into the can? You don't. My hope is that in the United States, it's a Christian constitutional populism. Oh, and speaking of populism, how, how is this all happening? Well, there's another truism. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And that reaction we've seen in Italy, we saw with Donald Trump. I wonder what the reaction will be when more Trump supporters learn about the Rhodes plan. Oh, do you haven't heard about the Rhodes plan? <laughs> it's from January 6th. It accused Stuart Rhodes of, of something. We'll talk about that. Oh, by the way, guess who else? Never heard about the Rhodes plan. The informants the FBI had embedded into the Oath Keepers. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Big announcements. We'll get to. I'm going to announce it to Zach. Zach Abraham is set to join us next hour. Wow, now that I said that, what if he doesn't join us? I'll have to edit it out. I'm going to text him while we're talking here just to make sure. So I'm so convinced that this question, what happens after populism, isn't on the minds of people enough, particularly people who have uh, been granted earthly power. And it better get on their minds because they're doing everything they can to crush populism. And at the same time, they're doing everything they can to cause populism. They're crushing what they're causing. And they're the cause of it. I sound like Cammie Harris. They're causing what the cause. They have, they, they've, they've caused this to happen by action and inaction. And they have amped up populism by allowing the society to get to the point where it got, particularly during the COVID flu. This is a sounds that, that we shouldn't hear on, well, I guess I was going to say in the North American continent, but let's, let's be more precise, in the United States of America. Uh, this is just a little bit of sounds. And I, I could have run the whole thing. It's horrifying, except there's so many F words. It would just be beep, 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 beep. And the F words, it's not something I want to have on the podcast often if I can help it. So why are the people throwing the F-bombs? In Canada, there were six people in a house. So the police came and beat a person up and took them out. No, no, that's the story. Th that's it. There were six people there. Plus, there was a flu. 
So masked cops came and drug someone out of their neighbor's house because that's going to get populism. That's going to cause it. And then when it comes up, like it did with the truckers, you had the dictator of Canada pull their bank accounts. In this country, people watched Black Lives Matter Incorporated and Antifa absolutely allowed to run wild. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew what they were doing when they shifted the election rules. We all knew it. We all knew they were attempting to cheat, to rig the game. We watched the Hunter Biden stuff getting censored. We all knew exactly what they were doing. And that caused populism. And it caused Jan 6. And then to crush Jan 6th, they helped cause Jan 6. They helped make it worse. And now we have late in the game, the government admitting, oh yeah, we had a whole bunch of um, informants embedded in the Oath Keepers. And the informants had no idea that there was this thing called the Rhodes Plan. It is the central charge of the corrupt FBI and DOJ, the Rhodes Plan. The people who didn't know about it were the informants, the agitators that the FBI had inserted into the Oath Keepers. This is the sound from Canada. It's wrapping up as they've drugged this people, this couple out into the snow. But that is a woman being drugged through the snow, shoeless, because she was in the house. That was the sounds of a woman being drugged through the snow without shoes against her will because she was in her neighbor's house. But yes, yes, populism is so unpredictable and so dangerous. And, there's, and, and it can be. Populism can be dangerous, no doubt. And it's so unexpected. And if we would just follow the words and directions of our betters, like we'll hear this hour from William Jefferson Blythe Clinton III, our better. Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, our better. Alan Jope, the CEO of Unilever, our better. As I mentioned, um, Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer, Boer Capital Management, is set to join us uh, this this next hour on the podcast. And can't wait to ask him about the pipeline. And I think I know what he's going to say. But there's also a bit of sounds I want to play for Zach um, that is related to this topic. It's the CEO of, of uh, BlackRock talking about the green premium. Because of the rising energy prices, we are certainly seeing the green premium shrink. So what is the green premium? Uh, in the words of people like Larry Fink, the green premium is the unfair fact that new tech costs more, that electric cars cost more, that it costs more to produce wind energy, which makes sense because it's wildly inefficient, that it costs more to produce solar, which makes sense because it's wildly inefficient and unpredictable. So it's the green premium. He's celebrating the increase in core energy costs. In the same week that someone, and maybe us, blew up a pipeline, the pipeline, from Russia to Europe. With that stuff going on and this guy demanding ESG become installed, 
around all the financial systems and he wants the World Bank's charter change to be able to tax us probably. Well, that's not predictable, is it? It's risky. Zach Abraham's been warning us about this environment for a decade. He's been warning us that, look, you can't, you can't play yesterday's game. The 60-40 stock bond mix your grandpa and grandpa, uh, great-grandpa taught you about, that doesn't work anymore. You got to be able to adapt to a rigged, mobbed-up financial system, and that's what Zach does for us. As the chief investment officer of Bulwark Capital Management, completely obsessed with risk management. So if you are five to 10 years out from retirement, I don't know that we've ever seen a riskier time in finance. You really owe it to yourself, all the work you did, all the money you saved, all the things you scrimped so that you can have a good retirement, they're at risk right now. So call Bulwark Capital Management, they're at 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK. You can go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. So those horrific sounds of this woman being um, drugged from her home with, with a, a man, I'm assuming it's her husband, I don't know, because they were, they were in there visiting with neighbors. That did not disturb anyone in the Mockingbird media. No one was disturbed. That scene was repeated in New York City. You remember when Bill, was it, yeah, Bill de Blasio, the disgraced dictator of the city of New York, former dictator? When he sent cops to go peer into the windows of Jewish synagogues. There's, there's video of you. You remember these videos? Of cops standing on stepladders looking into the windows of a sacred place. Sacred to people. Or helping themselves into the homes of observant Jewish people who were gathering for religious ceremonies because they are called to gather. That's how they view God's word. Is that they call together on these days and the cops helping themselves in. That didn't disturb anybody. The, the suicides from the lockdowns, those didn't disturb anybody. The wealth transfer, they won't even talk about it. You will learn more listening to Zach discuss what they did to our money during the lockdown than you'll ever hear on CNBC or, or Squawk Box or God forbid Squawk Box. But you know what I'm saying? And yes, but to them, the big, big scary is, of course... Populism. Voters in Italy tomorrow appear poised to make a hard right turn. The woman expected to become prime minister leads a party with roots in neo-fascism. Chris Livesay is in Rome. And we played part of that yesterday. A good part of it. That's the scary. What was her motto again? God. Homeland. Family. There was a piece from the Washington Post and Chris Bray in a brilliant, brilliant write-up of this took this guy apart. So the, the, the Washington Post is panicked that there is this election in Italy. They're panicked about this woman. So they send this guy out to the pages of the Washington Post to critique this. And the guy writes this piece absolutely, as Chris says, gaslighting people. And his name is Philip Bump. Have you read this guy before? He writes that Georgia Mallory's speech captivating the U.S. doesn't make sense. 
or pardon me, captivating the U.S. right doesn't make sense. We played the, the, the clip that's gone viral. And this is what Philip Bump said. Georgia Maloney talks about the family and she says, why is the family an enemy? Why is the family so, um, so frightening? She links the decline of family and the attack on the stability of the family to commodification and, and financialization, to the metastasization of social atomization and consumer identity. That's Chris Bray writing. You can tell by the great writing. Philip Bump has no idea what she means. But we're getting away from the other odd claim that people find her identity as a mother, Christian, or Italian disgusting. Who does exactly? He's, he's, he's wrote that. That man lives in the Beltway. He's one of our betters. He wrote that as if, as if no one is, is decrying mother. The, the people of the Air Force aren't allowed to say mother or father in letters home. They have to say birthing parent or caregiver. Who's attacking motherhood? Your blessed, your beloved party, Philip Bump, is attacking motherhood. Who finds it disgusting? You have, you have the Le Lecce League, which is a, a group of women who encourage breastfeeding for a very long time. In other, you know, at the kid's age, don't stop right away at the breastfeeding. Le Lecce League. They now call it chest feeding. You have a figurehead who wants to make it a law that doctors against their will chop the uh, chop up the genitalia of men who want to pretend who's who pretend to be women. Who's attacking this? See, this is the what comes after populism. What comes after populism is that guy wins or we win. Or or, and this is the hard part, we give them their world, and you could say we retreat. I don't view it as a retreat. We can recognize that we are not of this world. It's our visiting place. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Am I saying surrender America? No, I am not. I'm saying act as the parallel society they want us to be. Act as a Christian society within a non-Christian nation. Balkanization, maybe, but we can be the ones who are secure standing on the word of God. We can be the ones who are secure standing on truth. We can be the ones who, when their kids are coming back chopped up and, and mutilated, hopefully, God willing, ours aren't. We can be the ones who help each other by saving money so that we can be gift givers to others so that we can help each other out in our community while they hoard and they call preppers hoarders. That's an example of people who are causing populism even as they recoil from it, so much so that that guy is pretending to not understand. You can't possibly live in the world and not understand these things unless you've been made blind. Unless making of yourself your own God has caused you to be blind to the real God and, and therefore be blind to truth in general. And, and that's just one of many examples. There's this. The pushing of a nation to populism starts by saying your concerns are selfish and stupid. You're stupid. Hey, stupid, you're stooped. You're a stupor. 
because you'd want to have a border for your country. Go back to, to Georgia Maloney's you know, organizing statement, God, fatherland, family. And you get this piece from Fox News, Fox and Friends. This is the Federalist senior editor, John Daniel, John Daniel Davidson on, on Fox and Friends talking about our very, very secure southern border. The cartels are making really billions and billions of dollars. One estimate puts it at 13 billion annually, up just from 500 million in 2018. So the cartels have figured out how to monetize illegal immigration, and they've really turned it into a massive black market, not just for drugs, but for people. And there's a massive logistical network on both sides of the border that supports this uh, industrialization of illegal immigration that's, that's ongoing. Does it? If you come from cities uh, in in fallen countries like Washington and fallen countries like California, you understand that the cartels have no fear. They run things. This is so utterly bizarre. If you want populism, do this. Tell citizens of Washington state, former state of Washington, tell them, hey, we have a zero tolerance for drunk driving. If you're pulled over, and you are over the legal limits, we're going to impound your car and maybe seize your car, and we're going to put you in, in jail and maybe prison. Now, that doesn't happen so much because they, they've, they've utterly decimated law enforcement, utterly decimated it because they are destroying the cities. That's part of what they're doing. That's part of how you get populism is you prop up the criminals. But here is a fact. The former Republican prosecutor, Republican, until he was forced to change his party identity because he knew he couldn't win as a Republican. But he did that after, after he secured a spot in the general election, a guy named Heroin Dan Satterberg announced, he was the King County prosecutor in that separate country. He announced, if you're an illegal immigrant, I will not charge you with the DUI. I will not. You want populism, say to citizens, you are going to get charged with the DUI. If you're here illegally, we're not going to charge you with the DUI. And his excuse for that was, well, but it's unfair because illegal immigrants, they could get deported. So it's not fair that they get charged. They're causing the thing that they hate. And they are taking the thing that they hate and they hate it so much and they're so concerned about it that they're getting more of it by virtue of their fear. Like this guy, Philip Bump. Oh, how is it that, what? She says our borders aren't secure. She says immigration, mass immigration is an issue. Does she, does she have any evidence that, that a, a mass change of a society's culture without votes is going to have a concerning effect to people? Can she manufacture any evidence to that effect? So what comes after populism? Revolution. One side wins. It could be peaceful. It could not be peaceful. But the Prince of Peace told us this would happen. The Lord Jesus said this is going to occur. You're going to go through times like these. Does it make it more fun? But we can rest secure in the knowledge that we have some understanding of how it all ends. Now, did I mention Jan 6th? I did, didn't I? What they've done 
with the January 6th event has come now to, in my judgment, its ultimate fruition. Julie Kelly invented the phrase fednapping for the kidnapping hoax where the feds invented a kidnapping attempt against the dictator of Michigan. Well, in Julie Kelly's words, and she has followed Jan 6 better than any, anyone, she's the only journalist really doing journalism about it. The feds did a wash, rinse, repeat with the Oath Keepers. And they're trying to put Oath Keepers in prison for sedition and treason. Which, by the way, treason and sedition can carry the death penalty. We'll talk about that, plus a big announcement on the show next hour. As we're joined, hopefully, by Zach Abraham, since that's the fourth time I've teased it. Watch this be the time that something happens he can't make it. had a young friend over here uh, who is helping to finally put the finishing touches on the video studio. (laughs) There's so many um, gadgets and stuff in this video studio. It's going to take me a year to learn to use all the little tools he's putting here for me. I gave him a bag of bone frog coffee and he's a guy likes to grind his own beans. So I gave him the whole beans coffee. First thing he said after greeting me, he's a very polite young man. After greeting me, he said that coffee, what did he say? Did he say sick or the bomb? Well, he said something young. I don't think it was great, but it was something that a young person would say lit. My daughter told me something the other day. That's a new slang phrase for really good. Maybe he said something like that, but he was bragging about it. It was, Hey man, how you doing? Good to see you. Glad you could, uh, you know, get, glad we could get together. That coffee was. Well, that's a very common reaction to bone frog coffee. And it should be because of the attention to detail. I asked Tim Cruikshank from Bone Frog Coffee. He's the founder and CEO. He was a 25-year Navy veteran and Navy SEAL. I asked him how much of the work ethic at Bone Frog came from the military. He goes, oh, the attention to detail? Absolutely. He said, look, when you're in a combat mission as a SEAL, you can't have any slip-ups in terms of detail. Oh, I forgot my night vision goggles. Did you? Well, that means you put the entire the entire team at risk. Well, and then there's the commitment to hiring veterans whenever they can, working with companies that are veteran-owned. But it does come down to the products. I heard once this great explanation on Rush Limbaugh's program, God Rest Him. Uh, a journalist said to a guy at, what was he? I think it's Paris Island. He was a drill sergeant and said, what do you think of the new direction of the, uh, of the armed forces doing new humanitarian stuff? And he said, ma'am, I don't know what you're talking about. My job is to teach men to break things and kill people. Well, there is that. And it's that team thing. God country team on every single bag. But the product of the seal is a successful mission. The coffee at Bone Frog Coffee, that's what it all comes down to. Be it the dark roast today when I had my friend over to finish up the video studio, gave him the medium roast, just as solid. There's a K-cup, you can get that. You can get it in espresso. You'd like to grind your beans like he does, then that's easy. Personally, me, I'm good just putting it in for a drip. I'm a simple man. I like my coffee in my hand. By the way, I'm fasting today. Utterly no calories. Can you tell? It's bonefrog.us bonefrog.us. Please make sure you use the .us. January 6th, there was a bunch of informants in the, um, in, in the Oath Keepers that had been, they wormed their way into the Oath Keepers. 
And the governments, they drug their feet admitting this. They didn't want people to know. They didn't want the defense to have this information. They were finally forced to give this up, but about seven days before the trial. Now, let's review. If you want more populism, let terrorist groups burn cities down. Um, idolize and lionize people like George Floyd while you attack cops. Demand that the police forces be defunded while you lionize guys like George Floyd, while you let them call for and get dead cops. If you want populism, do that. If you want populism, attack the cities and let crime run rampant. If you want populism, get caught on video teaching people's children that there's no such thing as man or woman and then don't stop and then put their faces in it and say, well, then you're transphobe. Do that. That will get you populism. But really top that off by stealing 40% of small businesses in a hoax response to a flu that you probably created. You're going to get populism. And by the way, if you're in power, you're pretty lucky that all you got was populism. And I am not advocating for other than that. I'm not. There was this thing called the Rhodes Plan. And this was a plan hatched by, according to the prosecutors, by Stuart Rhodes, who was the head of the Oath Keepers. And the allegation is this, that they had stashed guns in hotel rooms. You've heard about the weapon stash that's a pretty clever place to hide your weapons in the room with your name on it. This big thinking. So they stashed guns in hotel rooms, not around DC, not in hidey holes, not cleverly concealed in fake garbage cans like you would do in the movies in their hotel rooms. And Stuart Rhodes had said, keep the guns in the hotel rooms. No one come armed. What the Rhodes plan is, is the central argument of the prosecution that these guys' brilliant plan was to have a couple of hundred guys with some guns, and they were going to seize control of the United States government with a couple of hundred guns and, 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 and run things and prevent the, 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 the transfer of power. What Stuart Rhodes said is, okay, here's what the plan was. If President Trump invoked the Insurrection Act and called for the militias, we were there. Now, I went and looked. And I don't want to shock you, but President Trump did not invoke the Insurrection Act. The guns did not come out of the hotel room. But here's the fun part. The six informants that the the, the disgraced DOJ and FBI inserted into the Oath Keepers. The government doesn't want to talk about their role. They don't want to talk about what they did. The only one of the six is going to be called to testify. The, the informants themselves had never heard of the Rhodes Plan. <laughs> they hung out with the Oath Keepers, but they'd never heard of the Rhodes Plan. The what? The Rhodes Plan. What? Rhodes plan? They, they hadn't heard this. Which is why Julie Kelly compares this to the Fed napping in Michigan. Because in Michigan, there were more informants and FBI agents than there were participants. And you know the story about the sad people that they targeted. 
people who were living in the basement of a, of a, a vacuum cleaning store that didn't have a bathroom or a kitchen. Or for that, but I don't think it had running water. And if you are in that state of mind and someone comes and says, hey, let me buy you a bunch of dinners and drinks and let me buy you some laptops and let me take you traveling. And with this other guy, they set him up with a female FBI agent who started sleeping in the same bed as he did. Now, I'll leave it up to, sh- to her and God as, as if she ever sexually serviced the guy in order to keep him in the scheme. But when you got, you know, the FBI, or you got the morality of the FBI with Straw and Page, why, why not sexually service the guy? But he thought he had a girlfriend. Oh, I'm so proud of you, baby. It's so sexy when you talk about kidnapping a governor with your, with your four friends in a boat. If you want populism, do this. Jail grandmas for walking around in the Capitol imprison doctors because they read a speech in the Capitol, but don't go after Ray Epps and don't say why. Don't go after Patrice Colliers and her multi-millions of dollars in the Black Lives Matter Incorporated home that she bought in Topanga Canyon, California. Interestingly enough, Charles Manson's own stopping grounds, old stopping grounds. If you want populism, this is how you get populism. Now, what happens after populism? That's what I think the party needs to examine. There was an anti-populism event in the city of New York starring William Jefferson Blythe Clinton III, Larry Fink, the boss man of BlackRock, Alan Jope, the boss man of Unilever, and the United Nations ESG czar. And they got together to have a fib-fab discussion about what to do about us dummies. What comes after populism? William Jefferson Blythe Clinton III. And wait till you hear him. Man, dude has not aged well. And wait till you hear Larry Fink talk about what needs to happen with the IMF and the World Bank. Pretty instructive. There are going to be some changes coming to the podcast. We're going to talk about that next hour. Uh, they are great opportunities for us to to make the, the podcast thrive further. And frankly, to bring people into the fold to hearing the word of God, even if it's interspersed in political commentary uh, in the way that we do here. And, and sometimes we do shows that are completely related to or completely devoted to God, God's word. And we'll continue to do those. But here's the thing that's not going to change. I'm always going to do research about the companies that we uh, agreed to, to, to work with on this program. For instance, um, weight loss. There's some companies in, in the weight loss game that I couldn't ever, ever consider suggesting people work with. Because they know the protocols. I know exactly what they're doing. I know that they're going to go and get you to radically drop weight so you feel so good. And it's going to be a quick drop, a, a, a fantastic drop. And they're going to measure your waist. And they're going to say, look what you've done. And it is, if you are going to build something to design a boomerang diet, where people come back heavier after the weight comes back on than they were before they took off the weight, it would be that. And then the pitch is this, oh, well, there's a program where we can help you all, all for, for the rest of your existence. 
That's not what Soda Weight Loss does. At Soda Weight Loss, SodaWeightLoss.com, they concentrate on getting your body to a, a, a weight that is the correct composition of muscle and fat. Why does that matter? Well, let me ask you this. If you're baking a cake, does the correct composition of ingredients matter? If so, why? When you're trying to make a baby, does the correct composition of ingredients matter? If so, why? Right? If you're putting together an Ikea thing, never do that. Never mind. I, I can't stand Ikea. When you are dropping unwanted fat from your body, the correct mix of muscle and fat, that composition is what allows your body to not put the fat back on. That's why they do it. When you get to that goal weight, they encourage you to stay there at that weight to hit set point. Want to know why? Because your body will resist putting fat back on it. So when we go back to eating foods we love, they show us how to do that at Soda Weight Loss. I took off 150 pounds, guys. I know the road. We go back to eating those foods. You learn how to do it in the right way. And your body isn't craving it. It's not, oh, I got to store this. It's sodaweightloss.com. It stands for state of the art. I have family members on it. I have dear friends on it. I've got podcast family members I've met and not met on it. Sodaweightloss.com. S-O-T-A stands for state of the art. William Jefferson Blythe Clinton held a, um, a a meeting of the Clinton Global Foundation. They're getting back into the grift, baby. They got Joe Biden in there. Then now he has to get his 10%. So it's not quite as a, a clear a deal as it was for William Jefferson Blythe Clinton III and his beloved wife with whom he can never spend enough time. Hillary Rodham Clinton III, not the third. And at the Clinton Global Foundation, Bill Clinton was so excited to welcome Larry Fink, the boss man of BlackRock. I want to thank you for a lot of things. I want to thank you for urging people to consider the social impact of their investments and to try not just to go for a quick rate of return if it's damaging to society, but instead to try to build a future we can all share. But what does that mean now? Well, what's going to happen? How's, what do you think for the next six, seven months? How's Russia going to play into this? How's the pandemic going to play into this? It's, it won't go away, and it won't kill us, apparently. <laughs> so where are we, and what do you think now? Well, Mr. President, thank you for inviting me here. It's, it's an honor to be here. Um, well, the next seven months, we're in a transition, and it's not going to be a pretty transition. Um, we have food insecurity worldwide, which is going to be creating more elevated prices. that We have not seen all the increases that we, we should expect to see in food. Um, we have imbalances in energy right now in the short term. Um, and in, on top of that, we have the European government, the UK government, and the United States government uh, doing quite a large amount of fiscal stimulus at a time when we're seeing record inflation. Uh, now, just as you listen to this guy, understand what he's talking there about the food shortages. This man is part of the cabal that is invested in going to Dutch farmers and saying, you need to kill and then throw away. Not, not eat, not sell, throw away livestock because you have too much of it. He's talking about food shortages that he's causing. If you want populism to cross the line over into violent populism, steal people's food, steal their farms, 
Thou shalt not steal. I am no expert. I am far from it. I don't understand the just war um, theology. I know it exists. I do not understand it. I am so wildly, wildly um, unqualified to comment on that. But I would seem to me if there's going to be just war, it would be where a small group of people come and steal God's resources, uh, which are meant to sustain life because God values life. And God made man and woman, man and woman, he made us in his image. And God has said that you are not to abuse as a leader or a boss. You're not to abuse. You're to use fair weights and measures. You're not to lord your position over others. You are to serve and not be served. All of these things are very, very clear. It would seem to me with a group of people coming and saying, hey, I know that that's a 40-year farm in your family, but I need you to destroy it because there's some carbon coming out, but everything we exhale is carbon. I would think that might get you to a just war scenario and I pray on my knees that doesn't happen. But what comes after populism? I think revolution comes after populism. William Jefferson Blood. <laughs> I don't know if I should do this nickname. No, I'm not gonna. It was one of the nicknames that, uh, that Rush had from God rest Rush. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll just say Slick Willie. So Bill Clinton had some words for people like us here continuing to talk with Larry Fink. I want to say one thing about Larry that I really admire, quite apart from the fact that he's not a climate change denier. <laughs> uh, I'm the target of all those. He, <laughs> this might be more important. I think one of the... Two or three factors most responsible for an unsustainable rate of inequality in the world today is that decades ago, actually, when Hillary and I were in law school, that's a long time ago, <laughs> in the United States and elsewhere, People stopped teaching corporate law the way it used to be taught. It, 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 corporations, when I was a kid coming up and when I went to law school, were creatures of the state who had responsibilities to all their stakeholders. Yes, they're investors, but also their employees, their suppliers, their customers, and the communities of which they were a part. That's a fascinating viewpoint for a guy whose wife was a corporate lawyer for Walmart. Utterly fascinating. That is a fascinating point of view for a guy who sold access. He sold the people of Haiti to investors in the Clinton Global Foundation. So when the people of Haiti needed food, the Clinton Foundation provided them Wi-Fi. Uh, all, all across the island. I mean, it was, you know, they set up Wi-Fi all across the island and cable TV. And they bid that out and they sold that out. That man can sit on stage in a self-congratulatory pose and not remember or not understand that everything you're talking about, income inequality, because he gets into that with Larry Fink, 
You talk about income inequality. When you came to the White House, you had a net worth of about $400,000. You're billionaires. Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are on their way to being billionaires. If you want populism to become violent populism, reduce the income of the people in your country by driving inflationary tactics forever and ignoring the cost of that by limiting foods, but not limiting money, by flooding the system, drive inflation up to where a home loan when I bought this house was 3% or what were we, 2.8? It's 7.5, 7 and a quarter, 7.5 going up to 7.8. Do that while you continue to sell access to the job you were given to steward. And this is why I do wonder about the just war principle, because I believe God says, well, I don't believe, I know he says, to, them, to, to whom much is given, much is expected. William Jefferson Blythe Clinton III was allowed an opportunity to steward the office of the president. He used it instead to, to not serve, but to be serviced and to be served. So when I think a guy like this, when I think the Lord would look at something like this and say, and, and I look, I, I'm sure that I've sinned probably 15 times today. And, and I do, and I do repent. I hate sinning, but I think God would look at the structure of the, of, of the Clinton global foundation and say, what was that? What were you doing? Larry Fink thinks there need to be wholesale changes in how the World Bank and International Monetary Fund do business. But if we are going to change the world, there's just not enough money that's going to go into the emerging world. And we must change the charters of the IMF and the World Bank, or we're, or we're not going to get there. There's just not, there's just not enough capital it is estimated to decarbonize the emerging world is a trillion dollars a year. We're talking maybe a hundred billion dollars is moving into the, the emerging world. And so, um, but, but there's, a, there's huge pools of capital, but that capital is just not equipped to be taking the first loss piece. And so if we're really serious about the notion of moving the world faster so our children and grandchildren can have that bright future. It has to be done in a, in a way that we're bringing all the governments together. We have to relook at the, the responsibilities and the roles of the World Bank and the IMF, and they play important roles. They have important connections with all these countries. Um, but we need to find a way to stop thinking about a project here and a project there. That's happening but it's happening at such a slow rate, we're not going to get there. We're, we're fooling ourselves to think that one project, which may be a significant project, is going to decarbonize the world at the time that we need. After they uh, destroyed the housing market in coordination with the federal government, and after they got bailed out, they took bonuses. They, they paid themselves bonuses with your money. Then they washed, rinsed, and repeat, did the same exact thing with the COVID flu. But they magnified it. Think is at the center of all of this. And so when he says, this capital's simply not equipped to take first loss position, he means his capital. That's not even his. 
the the theft upon theft upon theft is so phenomenal. Just just consider this, and, and we'll have to have Zach explain this again. Uh, Zach Abraham, Boer Capital Management. Just 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 fancy this. Fink pushed for the government to illegally buy corporate bonds. How did they do that? They they conjured money. They inflated they inflated our money. They inserted a whole bunch of digits into our system. Hey, here's some digits. We're going to print a bunch of money, which of course is meaningless. It's paper. It's 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 nuts. And we're going to insert all these digits. Then with those digits, we're going to take those digits and we're going to give those digits to people like uh, or, or companies like BlackRock and Vanguard and their primary companies. Like we'll, we'll give all this bailout money again because, you know, the COVID flu. So they give them fake digits. What do they do with that? They turn around and buy real assets. Now think about this. The COVID flu shut down in many cases, destroyed and in, 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 in sent into extinction 40% of small businesses. What, 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 when that happened, what went with it? Small businesses that owned real estate. Oh, we don't have our real estate anymore. Oh, we're, we're, we're going to have to sell these buildings. You had commercial property in the city of New York take a nosedive for the first time in 50 years. You had buildings that had been worth $100 million suddenly worth $25 million. Who, who leapt in and bought them? They bought hard assets with fake money. And this guy is talking about the World Bank and the IMF. And I construe his meaning here to be that they need to be able to tax us. If you want populism to become violent, do more of that. But yes, 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 yes. Voters yes. in Italy tomorrow appear poised to make a hard right turn. The woman expected to become prime minister leads a party with roots in neo-fascism. And the Democrat Party, as I said yesterday, has roots in what? The KKK. There is a United Nations ESG czar. Now, she seems to think there's a whole bunch of money. About that. I think first, just like Alan said, first recognize it's a crisis. And, you know, just how we found is it 14 or 17 trillion for COVID. The money must be there somewhere. <laughs> Pull out the sound bites of international mobbed up bankers saying there's an unlimited amount of money in the Federal Reserve. What well, we have unlimited amounts of money, meaning unlimited amounts of digits. But no, when it comes to this, it needs to come out of your bank account. What comes after populism? Revolution. Who wins? Don't know. Are you deeply concerned? I love America and it saddens me to see her driven to this position on purpose. In fact, it infuriates me. And I love God far more. And there are a lot of heads being turned. There are a lot of heads being turned as they are watching a system that they thought they could rely on forever and they're beginning to understand, no, the people in it have been left to their own devices. They've turned their back on God. God has said, oh, okay, so you want to run things? Let's see how you do. And every time that's happened biblically, there's been a revival, a jubilee of people coming back to the Lord. Is it going to happen this time? Well, I don't know, but I know this. Ultimately, at the end of all this, there's an forever jubilee. 
Got some letters and some emails, people taking me to task again. The, um, the, the, the thing that we do here is about to change. And it's not going to change in any horrific or weird ways. Um, we're about to do some expansion. And this has been a long time coming. We, we searched long and hard uh, to align ourselves with a partner uh, who would be there for us when tyranny comes, who isn't interested in employing any form of speech codes on us, and who come from a, a background that allow them to sustain the storm. So next hour, <laughs> if Zach joins us, and I'm confident he will, I will share with, ja- with Zach um, what, we have, what we've decided to do. And I'm sharing it with him on the podcast because I'd like you to hear his response to this because I've told you many, many times, um, he was just as responsible for us getting here as, as anybody. But this is to you. If you're hearing this right now, this far into this podcast, I want you to know that no matter how large the Lord sees fit this audience to become, if that's his will, if his will is that it's 100 times larger, I want you to know that I will never, ever, ever forget you were here first. And if you joined us at KTTH way back in the day, or you heard about me on Rush and you came to us, I want you to know I'm never going to forget that without you, there would be no us. So next hour, we'll make this announcement. And for, well, if Zach's not here, maybe I'll just pretend to be him and I'll announce it to myself. And then I can do that laugh that annoys everybody. Oh yeah, that's still, that's still a thing. Now I've got my laugh defenders coming out saying, I love your laugh. This happens. It's weird. It's like every five years. This thing becomes a big deal. There's some other notes. In fact, a follow-up notes, an apology of sorts from an emailer, and then some um, theological discussions. This is a follow-up note from last week. Tom wrote me to say, hey, you need to get to work. You need to create a list of companies that we should not buy from. And you need to use your power. And, and, and I'd said in my response to my brother, Tom, from Ellensburg in the separate country of Washington, brother, I don't have any power. Neither do you. And nobody does. Uh, the Lord has power. And in a long, I mean, I don't want to repeat what I said last week, but what I said was effectively, hey, that sounds like a great idea. You should do that. And I mean it. It sounds like a great idea. Now, there are lists that exist that way, by the way, of woke companies don't reinvent the wheel. Those things exist. But my response to Tom was as well, well, but what about this? Why don't you just shop local? Why don't you buy your meat from a local rancher? You know, most of them will do that. Some of them will process it for you. Well, why don't you buy your vegetables from local farmers? Why don't you get into a bartering group like there exists in North Idaho? They're all over the place. Hey, you grow flowers, I grow vegetables. Let's trade. Tom wrote back to me. Um, Matthew 1921. Oh my goodness, Todd, you're so clever. I wrote recently to you whining. What can we do? I'm like the young ruler who told uh, the uh, uh, ruler that told Jesus that he was a good man, was following the commandments. What more could he do? Jesus said something to the effect of, give away all you own and follow me. I believe the young ruler left sad. 
Well, when I listened to your response, you told us to get involved and make changes, sacrifice and give more than lip service to the task at hand. Yes, my favorite quote from the Bible is not even from the Bible. It's that the Lord helps those who help themselves. Anyway, great work, Tom and Ellensburg. Tom, I appreciate the notes and I want to correct something. I don't think it's clever. I think when you abide in the word of God, you begin to hear his voice and you can begin to discern what is godly and is not godly. It's not me. Uh, I've spent, you know, three quarters of my life rolling around and believing I was a clever man and, and sinfully thinking it was me. I appreciate the note and the follow-up. Joanne. Hi, Todd. I've been listening to you since you were on the radio at KTTH as a fill-in host. No kidding. Wow. Back in the days with Chris Weider. Thank you for that, Joanne. A listener named Neri emailed you about your annoying laugh. You said it was because you're in a room by yourself for two and a half hours. I have to take issue with this. I emailed you when you were on the radio and you told me that it made for poor radio. And as a listener, it would be nice if you would stop. I wasn't the only one that pointed this out to you. <laughs> you also have the same annoying laugh when you and Zach are talking on the show. In both examples, I've just mentioned you were not alone. I guess it's something you won't change. But again, as a listener, it's so annoying. I agree with Neri. Maybe you could think about not annoying your listeners. Thank you for the great content. Thank you, Joanne. Joanne. Are you telling me that I laugh in response to things Zach says in the same way I laugh at the voices in my head or the thoughts that occur to me as I'm going through a news story and I think, oh, I never thought of it that way. And the laugh comes out. Are you telling me that? That's interesting. I'm going to listen to that because if that's the case, then I have a brain tumor or something. No, because honestly, if I'm, if I'm laughing at my, the voices in my head, the same way I'm laughing at my friend, Zach, I probably got a screwed up. I, I got a, a screw in the stew, as my great grandpa would say. Oh, and incidentally, Joanne, I was alone in the radio studio. There's never anyone in the studio with me until I did the ridiculous partner show. So every time I was at KTTH doing the solo show, I was alone. That's just the way the studios work there. Danielle, on the topic of Vanderbilt University getting caught admitting they chop kids up and, and chemically mutilate them for money. And then they disappeared their entire website. Matt Walsh gets credit for that. Danielle writes, you will understand when you start digging into the Vanderbilt family. Cornelius Vanderbilt, founder of the Vanderbilt University and patriarch of the Vanderbilt family, has daughter Gloria Vanderbilt. Look into the mansion and the creepy, sadistic, torturous things that there are regarding torturing children. Also making sense is her son, Anderson Cooper. Once you start digging... You fall down the rabbit hole. You might not want to get down. Caution is advised. Thank you, Danielle. I appreciate that. I'm aware of the Vanderbilt uh, history and very questionable history at that. And, and I think very shocking history and perhaps even satanic. Um, but I don't want to bear false witness. I don't know that to be the case. But yes, yeah, certainly very disturbing. Tyler. Todd, it saddens me when I hear you share stories of people who express such wrong understanding of God's word. There is no power in baptism. There's no power in the person who performs it or the person who receives it. All powers in the word connected to the water. Now, I have no issue with the person recognizing their sin and having a truly contrite heart and repent. All people should. But it is the very fact that we've been forgiven to receive the spirit that gives us the ability to do so. So it grieves me when I hear people express the idea that they need a, to be baptized again. And more so when I hear people lauding that action. There's one baptism in Christ, only one. Seeking another baptism is seeking to gratify yourself, not glorify Christ. 
I pray that you receive this as the brotherly admonishment that's intended to be that we're commanded to give to one another. Of course, if we have disagreement on this, I'm sure you're more than willing to sit down with scripture and struggle that together. Your brother in Christ, Tyler. Uh, Tyler, appreciate you, brother. Uh, I don't know that I agree at all with what you said. And I'll tell you why. I don't know that you listened to the segment very closely. With all due respect, and I do love you. I shared a story of a brother who went through baptism without a full heart. We are told before we take such a step to be right with God, we're told not to enter into that lightly. We're told to make a full commitment. We answer those questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the risen son of God who died for your sins? If you're saying that, yeah, because my girlfriend's cute, you're not being baptized. You're performing, but you're not being baptized. Further, if you are baptized and then no change happens, you continue to lie and steal and be an adulterer and those things never change and you don't repent of that, well, then faith without works is dead. Mark tells us. It doesn't mean that we can work our way into redemption. Tyler, you and I firmly agree that one cannot work their way towards redemption because it's a gift we can never deserve. We can never earn. And what the apostle Mark taught us is that you will know you have fully received the spirit when you allow the spirit to change you. The fruits of that will be evident. The man who decided to go get baptized again decided that because the first time he did it, he was not sincere. He wasn't under any impression that the water changes you or that the pastor has some magical power. No, none of us were. And in that segment, I didn't say, oh, and it's magic in the water. And in fact, the day that the brother decided to do that, our pastor said, now you understand you don't need to do this, right? You understand that you are forgiven. You understand that you walk with Christ now. You get that, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, I just, I didn't do it the right way. I want to do it because I love Jesus Christ. I want to do it with a heart that now understands what love means. What now, who understands what it is to sacrifice, who understands I, I, I love Jesus. I want to do this with a full heart. Not that I think that, oh, Jesus is going to say, oh, now you, no, okay, now you're okay. Now the water's deeper. And, oh, but now you're in North Idaho and that's cleaner water. Brother, that's not what we said. What I said was, and what I admire was this gentleman standing up and saying, the first time I did this, I was clowning. And I heard a great preacher um, say that the first time he was baptized, he went in a wet, or a dry center and came out a wet center. And the second time he was baptized, he went in a dry center and he came out a wet sinner, but with a girlfriend, not a wife. That preacher was Crawford Loritz. One of the best, most biblical preachers I can imagine. So brother, I appreciate your notes. I appreciate the admonishments. We are to hold each other to account. I accept that. And I don't think that's what we said in that segment, but that's clearly what you heard. Thank you as always for paying such close attention, particularly to the word of God. I do hope Zach Abraham joins us next hour so I don't have to do my annoying laugh to myself when we make this announcement. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please, please go be well, be strong, be kind, and be of good cheer. It's a good thing. 
when God told us things are going to happen, it, it does. Because means we're listening to the word of God and reading it in the right way. 